From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. I am at me producer, Forrest Rogers, recording on this laptop at my home, since we are limiting our studio hours due to the spread of the Omicron variant. Joshua Meals is a clinical nurse manager at Providence Alaska Medical Center in Anchorage. He oversees acute care nursing floor with staff of over 60 nurses. While they don't treat patients with COVID, they still feel the ripple effects of how the pandemic disrupts the hospital. It's just been very, very challenging navigating this incredibly complex healthcare system. It's already complex enough, but when you add in a stressor like this that we're that we're not experienced with managing, it really challenges not only myself but also you know the entire uh, healthcare organization. At me producer Ada Bjorkman spoke with Meals about managing the acute care unit during the pandemic, how staffing shortages impact the nurses and patients, and how he works with his team to make sure they continue to provide the best care possible during this stressful time. They spoke on January 19th, 2022. Can you explain to us uh, what made you want to work in a hospital? Well, the first decision came from wanting to be a registered nurse uh, back in high school. Um, And my education uh, led me to working in a hospital versus working outside of a hospital. Lots of different options as a registered nurse, um, but most nurses, once they've got their degree, will uh, work in a hospital in an acute care setting. So how did you like, get into your job? I remember when I was a a brand new nurse, um, I've been a registered nurse for 17 years. And I remember um, just starting out uh, working and, you know, whenever you have a new job, it's, it's a huge, huge uh, overwhelming sense, as you probably know. Um, And, but I remember seeing uh, my manager at the time, her name was Arlita. And she just had this great sense of calmness and um, just presence, which uh, I don't know if you felt with different people in your life that have been kind of impactful. And I said, man, I would really would like to do what she does. I didn't really know what it entailed at the time, but I knew it was something I really admired. Um, so um, just through a string of events over the, over the years, um, I landed this position about seven years ago and I've also worked over at the Native Hospital um, for a couple of years as well as a, as a clinical nurse manager. Um, I went to school to get my master's in healthcare administration. So that helped facilitate my learning and for this position. Um, I started off with an associate's degree and worked my way up to a bachelor's degree in nursing. And then, like I said, with a master's in healthcare administration. So it was just the right fit. And um, uh, it feels like that's the right fit. And uh, the education kind of led me there as well. And different experiences, and uh, which I could talk about for a while, but which I won't. So That's great. Um, can you describe what your job entails, like in pre-pandemic times? Oh, yeah. Well, pre-pandemic, you know, much of the job hasn't really changed. There's just more stressors now, I would say now than there were prior. But um, basically, as the clinical nurse manager, the you know if, you, if you've ever had a relative or yourself, if you've ever been in the hospital, more likely they'll end up on a you know in a wing, and 
you know, you have the nurses and the doctors that take care of you. And so there has to be that, that one person that manages, you know, the staff and uh, the business operations of the unit. And so, you know, pre-pandemic and even pandemic right now, um, major responsibilities are basically 24 hour accountability for the unit. Meaning if, there, if things were to happen, um, I'd be accountable to show up, be there, help support staff. Um, big part of it really is just managing uh, the business operations of the unit, whether it be processes, policies, and then helping to support our staff um, is a big, big component of it. And um, you mentioned the acute care nursing floor. Would you explain um, exactly what that is and who the patients you treat there and what their conditions typically are? So acute care basically is, um, so like if you've ever had a relative that's had a heart attack or they've had like a bone replacement or a stroke, they need acute care, meaning they wouldn't go to, um, you know, like a surgery center to have surgery or they would need hospitalization. So uh, when I say acute care, it, it, it means that it's care directed at patients that need resources that are not available to them um, in the community. Um, you have to have you know, your MRI, you have to have your CAT scan, lab, et cetera, et cetera. So that's basically what acute care means. Thank you. Um, what does an emergency situation look like on your floor? Like if somebody had to call a code or something? Oh, well, um, it depends on what kind of code. We have multiple different code colors. We have like a code blue, which is a medical emergency. We have a code yellow, which is um, like a bomb threat, believe it or not. We have a code bronze, which means um, a missing vulnerable adult. Uh, code white is a pediatric medical emergency. So multiple different. But what I would say the most consistent thing that we would see on a floor is the team coming together uh, from multi-disciplines and working together um, to address the code. Sometimes it can be very chaotic, but most of the time it's rooted in teamwork. Uh, it's kind of scary sometimes too, especially when you have a medical emergency, but for the most part, the staff do an incredible job keeping everything organized better than I could ever do. What would that look like for your job? It really depends. Um, <laughs> it really depends, but a lot of times it, it just boils down to support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the nurses and the nurses aides um, really are the experts, you know, regarding their knowledge. So for me, in those types of situations, I don't jump in and save the day <laughs> by any means. It's really, they're the ones who are saving the day. My job would really be to help support. So for example, if the charge nurse who is kind of watching over the unit for the day is encumbered, I would you know, go up to the front and answer phones or you know, kind of direct traffic or help facilitate patient flow throughout the hospital. Or if it was a code bronze where we were missing a vulnerable adult, mm -hmm. um, if I had the opportunity, I would go out and follow specific protocols to help facilitate that, which would be you know, looking at our exits and making sure that we're looking for that person who is described as a vulnerable adult. So it's really, again, it's really just, it's a supportive, supportive measure is basically what I would do at that point, but it could totally change. There could be a code blue one day and I end up giving compressions on a patient. I pray God I never have to do that, but I will. And I'm trained to do that if I have to, so. So how has your job changed due to the pandemic? 
I would say our particular four, we don't actually take care of patients who have COVID, but we have caregivers that have been affected by COVID and we have family members of those caregivers. Um, we have caregivers that are exposed to COVID um, by a patient potentially. And so one of the biggest changes really has been just how to manage scarcity of staff uh, and, and doing that in the best way possible. So that's been a big component of it is really just learning oh my gosh, we don't have a lot of staff and what are we going to do? Um, and not just for my unit, but you know, for the whole nation, really, which you've seen. And so um, if there were ever a time to be a nurse manager, <laughs> this is not the ideal time. <laughs> it's just been very, very challenging, uh, specific with staffing, but then on just all the new policies um, that have come down, not necessarily just from here, but you know, we're part of a larger organization here at Providence. It's not just Providence, Alaska, it's Providence in the lower 48. And so things that change in the lower 48 also affect changes here. And so just, you know, getting uh, communication in time and just rolling with everything. It's just been very, very challenging navigating this incredibly complex healthcare system. It's already complex enough, but when you add in a stressor like this, that we're, that we're not experience with managing, it really challenges not only myself, but also, you know, the entire uh, healthcare organization as well. Would it be accurate to say that the patients on your floor would be at like a higher risk or of um, like serious illness or death from COVID? You know, the risk is, you know, you know, the risk for developing COVID is, high anywhere you go. And we're learning that, right? No matter if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Um, I think the thing that we're seeing really is just the individuals that are not vaccinated have, have had, you know, not just here at our hospital, but across the nation have had higher hospitalization rates. So, you know, the risk for us versus outside, um, I don't really see a difference, mm. honestly, because it's so random. <laughs> with what we're seeing so well with that being said are there any like precautions you guys have to keep them safe from getting infected oh of course you know there's something called ppe you've heard in the, in the news you know personal protective equipment you know all the staff wear the uh when when required staff are also asked to of course not come to work when they're feeling ill um, and then they're also required to fill out a daily attestation, attesting that they don't have any symptoms for COVID. Um, if they do end up having COVID, there's a whole process that, uh, that we follow to ensure that they're being taken care of and returning to work appropriately. Um, Patient-wise, uh, uh, patients are screened for COVID um, on admission, whether it be for an elective surgery or for uh, admission to the ED. So those are just very broad, basic things. And I'm sure there's other things too, but those are, the, those are the top things that come to my mind. I ask how often patients are tested for COVID and like what the protocol is if one of them tests positive? You know, if, you know, in the perfect situation, care, you know, somebody would be tested like once per se, you know, on admission, but there may be uh, reasons why they have to be tested multiple times based on their clinical uh, diagnosis and or their um, assessments that um, the physician has for that particular person. 
So it could be one time, it could be multiple times, or um, we'll also test people if they're going out into the community, like to a nursing home or to a skilled nursing facility to ensure like if, if they are still positive or not, what would the next step be for that particular situation? Here, if, if an individual tests positive um, for COVID and if they're medically stable, meaning they'll need a higher level of care like ICU, we have a specific unit here in the hospital that takes care of patients who have COVID. In the event that we end up having a patient who has COVID here on our unit, we will isolate that patient, put them on proper um, protective equipment um, and protocols with the intent of getting them to that specific unit when there's a bed available. And most of the time there always is. It always works out. It's great. That's great. That's always good. Yes. And what would happen if a staff member tested positive? So our protocol is if um, a staff member, it depends. So if they're in the hospital and they find out like that, you know, if their mother calls and says, oh, just FYI, you know, we're positive. And then um, a couple different scenarios really, but generally it's always sending, of course, sending the individual home or if an individual is sick and they know and they tested positive, then there's a, a process that they follow with our caregiver health partners by calling out, following uh, CDC guidelines for uh, self-isolation. Uh, they have to meet certain protocols to coming back to work. Well, thinking back to like early 2020, was there a moment where you first realized that this pandemic was gonna affect like our lives or your work? Yeah, uh, I, I would say, you know, when you heard, stay home, remember that? Stay home. Yeah. Uh, and that's not something we did or heard, have ever heard before. And I remember thinking to myself, I mean, I get it, right? So decrease your risk, decrease others' risk for transmitting um, the virus. Um, but I also felt like, as a registered nurse, I felt like, we can't stay home, yeah. you know? And I felt like, whoa, you know, that's, it, it just kind of gave you a better perspective on what our responsibilities were in the healthcare field and uh, the importance of us um, to be able to take care of the sick and the vulnerable. And I never felt like that before, but it was more real that, that day, or uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was just a specific time. It was kind of like the day when we had a big earthquake. I don't know if you were here when we had the earthquake in 2018. Mm -hmm. So I was here in the hospital. I it, for you, it was probably nerve wracking. Oh, yeah. I remember. I was on the stairs in my school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. So it was so scary, right? Yeah. It was so scary. And, and we had experienced that same thing here in the hospital and never experienced that before. And that was similar to the experience I had with the pandemic as far as just recognizing like, oh my gosh, like I can't go home to my family in the Valley who are stranded. You know, I have to stay here and take care of patients who are just as terrified, you know? So it really, it was really just an eye-opening experience and feeling, I think, of and I'm still feeling it really. I think a lot of us are, is like, wow, the responsibility but that we have, but also, feeling oh we're tired <laughs> right yeah well we appreciate all the things you guys do yeah no it, it, and we and we 
and the community is just as exhausted too. Yeah. Everybody's exhausted, right? You know, not, you know, mentally, psychologically, it's just, it's been a, a real toll on the whole world, honestly. Coming up next, Niels talks about how COVID indirectly affects his department, including staffing issues unlike anything he's seen before in his entire nursing career. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. All of that is paid work. So, if you are between the ages 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining ATME, go to alaskateenmedia.org forward slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to Ada's interview with Joshua Meals. So although your department doesn't treat people with COVID, how has it otherwise impacted your patients and your staff? You know, as we look at how it impacts our patients per se, you know, we've gone through different measures over the last year and a half where you know, the hospital and all hospitals across the nation um, have either let visitors come to the hospital or not allowed visitors to come, right? And I'm sure at some point you'll be affected by this. I'm sure many of the listeners will have had experience where they were not able to come to see, you know, their loved ones in the hospitals because of, um, you know, making, ensuring that we're not bringing more people into the hospital as ne- than necessary. So that's been a real factor you know, for our patients, they're not able to see their mothers, their daughters, their children, um, based on what COVID's done, <laughs> basically. I think that's that's been huge. That's been really huge. Um, we've had to work out scenarios where we've utilized iPads, you know, to communicate. So, that it's, so you know, trying to get patients who are not as tech savvy you know, to utilize the technology has been very, very challenging. And, and for the nurses too, that may not have all that experience, like the younger generation. Um, not that I'm like super old, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, been a, it's been a huge learning curve, um, at least with the technology. But um, yeah, I think, this, I think the patients are just having a very different experience than they would have, you know, three or four years ago. And a lot of it has to come, it comes down with just the stressors that come with not only not able to see their loved ones, but also just the stress of being sick. And then if they have COVID, I mean, how, how worse would that be? Um, and then the whole, it just, everything's just sort of in disarray, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's, it's just kind of icky, you know? Could you break down what happens on your floor when your floor has uh, staff shortages and how that would affect your patients and how you and your team has to adjust for that? Well, I would tell you this this last couple of years has been a real adjustment because we've never been a short staffed here as we have this last six or eight months. And it's been a real learning process for not only myself, but for the staff and really using um, just kind of in the moment types of scenarios where we have to kind of reorganize or excuse me re uh, reorganize you know our resources to the best of our abilities um, we've really depended upon each other as as a team 
it's been really important to capitalize on uh, and utilize the strengths of your team. And so for our team, I'm very proud of them for just really stepping up and working through some of the most challenging situations and, and being short staffed is not fun because it increases the workload of everybody. And so myself and the assistant manager have been in staffing um, uh, multiple times over this last year. So we'll do that if needed, uh, not only on my unit, but just everywhere in the hospital and in the, in the nation as well, you've, you've heard this. So it really depends on the day, it depends on the situation, the census of the unit, uh, the acuity, how sick patients are. You may have to um, mix and match some of the patient assignments, but I would say the staff are a little bit more comfortable with being uncomfortable now than they were uh, six or eight months ago. And not that it's okay, or not that it's easy, but it's really pushed us to be more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Sounds like you guys are adapting. We are, yep. Well. Could you tell me like how many nurses would be typically working a shift on just like any given day on your floor? Sure. We typically we typically do about um, eight nurses a day per shift for both days and nights. So 16 total nurses. And then we have, um, I think, four or five nurses aides that work as well for both day and night shift. What would it look like on your floor if like one person called out sick versus if like 10 people called out sick? Well, um, <laughs> hopefully that'll never happen. Um, that would be an issue. You know what? But you know, nothing surprises me anymore in this in, in life. But I would say we have a resource here within the hospital where we have something called the resource pool. And it's a, it's a group of registered nurses and nurses aides that are staffed every day that are utilized in those types of situations. So like if we had three sick calls, um, we could potentially get um, three nurses or PCT nurses aides from the pool. Uh, and that's, that's something, that's an entity uh, across the nation in different hospitals. If there were a day when we had 10 call outs, um, you know, that, that would be all hands on deck essentially where we would have to utilize um, you know, myself, the assistant manager, any other types of resources that we have to identify. Well, besides how COVID um, in, has like indirectly affected your department, um, are you seeing other aspects of how it's affecting the healthcare system as a whole? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, not just myself, but other managers, leaders, and something you're seeing across the nation is just healthcare workers are getting really tired. And, um, you know, nursing in general, bedside work, physician work, it's tiring anyway, because you're working long shifts. Um, but now you add in just the mental um, and emotional stress of COVID and the stresses of, you know, our culture. And it makes it makes it challenging to work every day and to be resilient. And I think, you know, 2020 was the year of the nurse by the World Healthcare Organization. They deemed it, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but the World <clears throat> Healthcare Organization uh, deemed 2020 as the year of the nurse. And uh, this was before the pandemic. <laughs> so um, it was very uh, almost prophylytic in a sense because Right now, I would tell you, nursing, we're retired 
and we're really struggling and trying to be resilient. Um, so that's one of the things I've not, I had not seen in 17 years of nursing. Re number one, I recognize healthcare is, is, it can be a challenge. Absolutely. It's very rewarding, but never have I've seen it just become such um, challenging for caregivers to continue in the field. It's just, it's, it's hard, but it's also very rewarding. So I don't want to make, I want people to think that nursing is horrible. <laughs> it's, it's just, um, it's, it's just a very, I think that, I think most of the public know anyway, but like, it's a very challenging profession to work in. Yeah. No, of course. seems like you guys have a really heavy workload. It can be at times. And that's why, like I said, you know, teamwork is really important and, um, yeah. So to what extent do you think COVID misinformation has affected like your nurses? COVID misinformation? Um, you'll hear people say things about masks or um, maybe that vaccinations are like that they're not working or that. Oh, people okay. Sure, sure. So difference of opinions. Yeah. Or there's a lot of people saying stuff like that COVID in general is just a hoax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things I remember and I'll never forget, and I pass this along to the nursing staff, regardless of how people feel, regardless of what their views are, you know, our jobs as healthcare providers is to take care of the patients without discrimination, regardless of what their thoughts or their feelings are. And as hard as it may be, inter you know, internally, if you have, you know, positions that you're taking, at the end of the day, you know, the patient in the bed is the most important thing and not judging them for whatever their reasons are or for whatever their, th their thoughts or their process or whatever they're thinking about um, COVID or masking or vaccinations, you know. That's how I feel about it because once I start going down that rabbit trail of, I wish X, Y, and Z or... I really think that X, Y, and Z, you know, you have to be very, um, you have to be, you have to be a team player. I'll make it as simple as terms as I can and not let your issues impact your care. I feel like that's really important. It is. It's super important. Give health care to everyone. Yep, exactly. Regardless of whatever's going on. <laughs> It's just, it's so important that, you know, as caregivers, we treat everybody the same with love, compassion, respect, and uh, we're there to take care of them. Yeah. Kind of circling back a little bit, you mentioned that like the nurses and um, healthcare workers in general have like a heavier workload, I guess, and they have more stress to deal with. So how do you help your staff deal with stress during this time? I think one of the things that um, not only myself and our unit, but I think the whole hospital does a really good job of just recognizing work-life balance. You know, you've heard that phrase before, but there's never been more of an important time to really ensure that our caregivers have like work-life balance. And the way that we can help that is by giving them time off, mm -hmm. you know, recognizing that when they're done working, they're done working. And that we're not asking them to, you know, go above and beyond, and, you know, and um, 
now we do you know we do ask for extra help when we're short staffed which you know they can add to the stressors but one of the things that we can do is really respecting their time off but also helping to support them through these really challenging times and that's one of the things that you know abby and i have seen abby's our assistant manager here just how do we better support and help our caregivers through this really hard time is not only is you know covid really impact how you know this the, the playing field is you also have the stress which makes it even more stressful for the nurses to deal with especially and especially for our newer nurses and so we've really identified how do we best support our caregivers and, and one of the ways is just touching base with them and and getting a real good feel of how they're doing similar to what we're doing right now and just talking to them <laughs> you know something really simple like that but that helps them and it's kind of like a therapy honestly because uh, we all need it we need to talk we need to hash things out and so that's been one way but really granting them time off and then just treating them as the best as we as we are able to which we do um, so important of course do you have a personal philosophy like with working pe with people and managing people in high stress environments um don't micromanage <laughs> that's really important don't micromanage your employees they are the knowledge bearers we help facilitate their development and their growth but i would say not micromanaging is huge giving them the freedom to work in their own environment and helping to support them and i you know for me it, work-life balance is really important too because if i'm not taking care of myself then i can't take care of the caregivers and so for any profession really work-life balance is so essential yeah is there anything else you'd like to add thank you for the opportunity of course I, yeah i'm really thankful for it and please know you know to all the people who are listening you know nursing is very very rewarding and I would tell you that um, there are many, many different opportunities in nursing other, you know, other than just bedside nursing. Bedside nursing, in my opinion, is where you learn to be a nurse. And then once you have that under your belt for a couple of years, you can just do practically anything. The world is your oyster. So we have a great school here um, at University of Alaska, Anchorage. Um, a lot of good programs there and also um, within the community as well um, for nursing. So I'd highly recommend the profession because it's constantly changing and there are just so many different things you can do. Um, so I encourage the listeners to uh, think about it and investigate um, all the different opportunities that they have with uh, becoming a registered nurse. That was at me producer Ida Bjorkman speaking with the nurse manager, Joshua Meals. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckenkost, with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. 
Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage for the Healthy Communities Funding Program. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United Way of Anchorage, the Municipality of Anchorage, or the Anchorage Health Department. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It is a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Alaska Teen Media. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Forrest Rogers. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.